Hello and welcome to KPMG's Talking Tertiary podcast, where we reimagine tertiary education for a changing world. I'm Stephen Parker, KPMG's education sector leader in Australia. If you've listened to my previous podcasts, you'll know that the pattern involves me interviewing someone else. Well, this time it's the other way around. I was invited by Geraldine Doog to go on to her Radio National programme called Extra, and she wanted to talk about the issues I'd raised in an article I wrote in the Australian Financial Review. The programme was broadcast first on the 23rd of May 2020, and it's reproduced here by kind permission of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. I hope you enjoy listening to what I had to say and hearing a real interviewer in action. At first today, the future for our universities. Do you remember the passionate way Monash Uni's Vice-Chancellor, Margaret Gardner, put the case for universities' contribution three weeks ago on this program? People seem not to see the great advantages that we all get from this very rich, high-quality education and research that we've built in Australia. Well, despite that sort of advocacy, the headlines make it clear the challenges are not going away and those headlines are increasingly yelling, where to next for higher education in Australia? Has something big shifted in our expectations? No, it wasn't foreseen, but this pandemic is turning out to be a catalyst for some significant rethinking. Maybe it's high time the university leaders opened themselves up to genuine structural reform. That's the view of Stephen Parker, who's been both an insider and outsider in the sector. As he says, it's been a full generation, 30 years, since that scale of change occurred in the sector when the so-called Dawkins reforms in the Hawke years brought together universities and colleges of advanced education. And Stephen Parker argues the pandemic may simply have brought forward the future, replete with dramatic predictions of change to Australian lives. Accordingly, he's calling for an urgent inquiry into what might come next, and he's not alone. Emeritus Professor Stephen Parker's a former Vice-Chancellor of Canberra University, now with KPMG, the professional services firm, where he is the National Education Sector Leader. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Geraldine. Now, you've argued all this in an opinion piece for the Financial Review, suggesting that higher education is one of the few sectors that hasn't had to restructure. Now, I think that might surprise some of our listeners. So can you make your case, please? Yeah, there's been no significant structural reform to universities, at least for 30 years since the Dawkins reforms. And we must be, we, the universities, must be the only sector in the economy not to have undergone some kind of structural change. And I've been talking about it for a while, but given the pandemic and the disruption, I thought it's time now to focus on what will happen and why doesn't structural change really happen. And see, when you say structural change, like over the years, when I consider, I've had to have done about six interviews, big interviews on this. And honestly, I don't know whether the structural change that is proposed is just in the big university's interest, because it's often proposed, or the national interest. I'm just not sure. It's bedeviled by that sort of feeling? Yeah. um, Look, I think 
different times, different points of view. Um, some of the the big universities are really big by global standards. So their structural change might be about demerging and forming alliances. But then at other parts of the sector, there are some relatively small universities relatively close to each other doing largely the same thing, competing and duplicating. And so the case for structural change for them is is different. Okay, we'll we'll get to some of the detail, but you're surprised, you say, given the severity of the crisis that is still dawning on people, is, is my judgment, that university leaders haven't been talking more boldly about this. Um, I, I don't know whether I'm surprised about that, but it is the case that we're not seeing much in the way of big structural, big idea thinking coming out of the universities at the moment. Now, it could be, of course, that they're still dealing with the immediate crisis and working out how much money they've got. But I certainly thought that I should try and bring this debate on. I've talked about it over the years. I know you've had Glenn Davis on this program. And who's talked about Margaret Gardner two weeks ago, a very significant yeah. head of Monash. Yes, and Simon Marginson over the years as well. So despite us all talking about it, nothing seems to happen. And so I ask myself, is this because they are perfectly adaptive organisms that need no structural change because they just organically change as demographics and economics change? Or is something else going on? Is it about federal state? Is it about turf protection? Is it about the fact that we've only got a single idea of a university in this country, whereas some other countries have more diverse kinds of institutions? Well, I mean, you go on, as well as saying we need an urgent commission of inquiry into the structure of our uh, university sector, you do say this, perhaps the golden age of universities is passing, an age of expansion and confidence that met the needs of the time. Perhaps now there are doubts about job readiness, duplication, competition with vocational education and so on and so forth. So, I mean, really, what are you seeing? Yeah, what, what's your prediction? Uh, my prediction is, as, a, as we said earlier, the pandemic has brought the future forward and now some real change will have to happen. Some institutions are going to become unviable and they're going to be offering what the economy no longer needs and what graduates or students no longer need. So I think there's now a real urgency about it. It's always been around and it's been important, but now it's urgent as well. And I do think the golden age has passed and it's been a great period. It's been 50 years of expansion because of human capital theory and equality of opportunity thinking and thinking about research and then the opening up of international student markets. So they've been boom times. But we have a new economic era dawning, and every era brings with it a reshaping of education institutions, really right back to factories and the classroom and the workers' institute. You can trace a correlation between the shape of education and the economic formation, and I think we're about to head into another one. So what do you mean by that? Do you mean that the whole quest for a better educated public to meet the needs of a knowledge society, to position Australia well, to capitalise on our human capital, are you saying all of that, where do we put all that aspiration then? Because I thought that was a good aspiration. All of the ideas are fine taken individually, although I've got to say that inequality has actually got worse as higher education has expanded. So I'm actually not sure that the equality of opportunity argument has actually worked. But broadly, these were great ideas for their times. 
So is the problem, Stephen, that we've been educating too many people, though I would have thought that that did equip the population for some of the really huge decisions we have to make around transition, for instance, to uh, an emissions-free future, that sort of complexity, the wicked problems that face us? Hmm. Um, I don't think we've been over-educating or educating too many people. But I do think that there are some warning signs around. For example, I think we've got an imbalance between higher education and vocational education. The earnings premium from a degree is probably coming down. It's certainly coming down in the UK and the US. And I I think that's a suggestion that we're producing more graduates than the economy is wanting. And at the same time, um, it's it's getting pretty expensive to find a plumber um, these days. So I think Mm. there's some imbalance there. But it's I, still I easier to get a job if you have a degree, on, though, isn't it? Well, it has been, but it's starting to change. And certainly the earnings premium is, is changing. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, the Institute of Fiscal Studies reckons that 20% of UK graduates have a degree that wasn't worth the money. They would actually be better off across their life if they hadn't been to university. I can see that kind of situation coming here. Mm. So it's not about over-educating. It's about imbalance and maybe educating in the wrong wrong areas. Okay. We're looking at the so-called fourth industrial revolution. We're looking at people wanting shorter micro courses that can adapt to highly changeable economic conditions. So if I may, I, I think actually Aristotle probably got it right. Not recently, obviously. Um, but he he talked about there are three kinds of knowledge in today's English language. You'd say knowing why, knowing how, and knowing what to do. And we've somehow separated all of these out. So universities know why, TAFEs know how. Not entirely sure where knowing what to do has gone, but because apprenticeships have rather fallen off off a cliff. But what we need is a, a kind of reintegration of the three knowledges. That's what the economy needs. And our sector with its separate vocational and higher education institutions is simply not equipped for that kind of versatile, integrated approach to knowledge. I noticed that um, Bill Scales was writing in the Financial Review this week as well, uh, was chairman of the Industry Commission. He was on the Bradley Review of Higher Education, which was the last major review, and he was Chancellor of Swinburne University and a very good thinker. And he wrote that, in a way similar to you, that if governments and the community wish to encourage the widespread education of international students to the extent that we now see in some higher education institutions, there's nothing wrong with that. But those institutions should be fully or partly privatised and allowed and encouraged to get on with it. We have to primarily think about how to educate our own. Now, are you grappling with similar things to that? Is, is it sort of the fundamental business thing about a business model versus the nature of, of education? Is it come back to that? I think it's all of those things. I personally wouldn't say that just because you take international students, you have to secede from a public system. But I do think there's a case for some institutions being allowed to secede from the public system, um, but not getting any subsidy from the public rather than fee deregulation on top of um, taxpayer money. I do think there's a case for that. And then they have to defend their value proposition and see what people will pay for. And I should say I was struck this week by an article in the Times newspaper in the UK by Lord Rees, the astronomer royal, who's saying it, almost exactly the same things. The system's sclerotic. It's got to be open to change. The whole world is changing around us. And now it's a fertile period for thinking. Uh, so what would you like to happen next? If you were to call 
call an inquiry, please not another Royal Commission, but by the sound of you, a different, smarter, quicker inquiry. And it's like there are thousands of jobs on the line, thousands right now in the balance. So, you know, where would you head next? Well, I think it needs to be a rapid review bringing some people in from the sector, some from outside the sector as well. It's got to have a political lens. We have to make sure that this is doable. And it's got to look at the way we separate vocational from higher education. The fact that vocational education is under states, but it's the Commonwealth that funds higher education, that can't go on. We have to have an integrated tertiary system. We've got to look at the requirement for research in universities, whether we should allow really high quality teaching only institutions, as you do see elsewhere around the world. So all of these things that people have talked about, we should now really start grasping these nettles and use the urgency of the pandemic to get some real change through. That that would be my case. Now, I mean, the Tertiary Education Union, for instance, has just uh, done this uh, big poll of their members. Uh, effectively, they've taken a pay cut. Many staff are likely to lose their jobs, but there is this move to try to stem the flow, where would they play? I mean, we've now got, I think, 40% of the teaching staff, if you take overall, are now casuals. So we're dealing with a, a phenomenon here of a whole lot of expectations about roles at universities for this educated group of people. Would they play a role in this new world you're describing? Oh, clearly they'd have to be at the table and they'd be difficult conversations and they'd probably take a different view from the one that I'm putting forward. But the point you make about the reliance on casuals, and I read that one university has a 68% reliance on casuals. Yeah, that's across the whole sector, I might add, (laughs) 40%, somewhere over 60 Yeah, so this in some ways is a consequence of international students. When you start to rely on soft money, you also start to employ people on soft money, if you see what I mean. It's your contingency plan if it goes wrong. What we've seen, however, it's politically too hard to lay off sessionals. So the contingency plan hasn't actually worked. And now people are in a real jam and we're looking at career academics having to take a pay cut in order to keep contingent workers employed. And, you know, there's merit in everyone's argument, but we've got ourselves in a mess and it needs to be sorted out. Are there models you look to elsewhere that you think could offer us a way forward? If I had to choose, I'd still look at places like Holland and Germany. They've got a different industrial structure, but they have a different attitude to practical education. They have much more diversity of institution. So some succeed, some don't succeed. They've got the sort of fail-safe mechanisms to innovate, whereas we don't really. Finally, I notice we have no university, Bill Scales points out, whose only focus is on outstanding teaching, yeah. and which does occur in the United States, those not the ones yes. we cite. And there seems to be this problem of competition. Once we became a, a world competitor and did pretty well, we then got on that ranking system, which actually prioritises research over teaching, as Margaret Gardner told us, really, in terms of prestige, which then means you've got to get money in for that. And so... Is there any way of escaping this competitiveness or not? 
Well, um, the obvious way is to remove the requirement of research from the definition of university. However, quite recently, Peter Coldrake led a review and reaffirmed the need for research. I don't agree with that, and I put a report out a couple of years ago saying we need some high-quality teaching-only institutions as an example of diversity, not the only not the only example. But as you say, it's not just rankings. It's universities, they operate in a kind of prestige market, and there's a feeling that if they're not doing research, then they can't be prestigious. But as you also point out, there are some great liberal arts colleges in the US which uh, do four-year bachelor's degrees, don't do any research, and people queue up to get into them. But somehow we've not been prepared to take the plunge here. But also, again, I'd, I'd question looking across the water and looking back in the past. We are entering a wholly new era where the economy and society is going to need new things from post-secondary education. I think we've got the wit to put it together ourselves, but we are going to have to give up a few precious beliefs. Watch that space. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you, Gerald. You can listen to other episodes in seasons one and two on our website, kpmg.com slash au slash talking tertiary or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And I'll speak with you next time on Talking Tertiary. Talking Tertiary.